Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by Spalding University's Sina Jeter Naslin, Karen Mann Graduate School of Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Have you ever thought about the origins of Kentucky music? What regions of the state where you might have heard the first gospel spirit or country music? What region they were played in and who performed them? Well, if you haven't, Christian Marnon has. And today on the podcast, he'll share his love and wealth of knowledge of true Kentucky music. Christian is a journalist with an interest in traditional, spiritual, and eclectic music of Appalachia. An avid record collector, he has spent years documenting small town radio and uh, record studios, uh, the artists who cut the records there, many of whom existed in relative obscurity as coal miners and circuit preachers and other mountain vocations. A Christian is not doing this uh, full time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he has a day job. Christian, welcome to the podcast, and tell us what that day job is. Uh, glad to be here, Bill. Uh, I am the editor of the Oldham Era. It's a weekly community paper up in LaGrange, Kentucky, and those most likely most basically Metro Louisville, and I've been here a little under two years, um, and uh, we're a small staff, but it's uh, never a dull day here. So, How did you get interested in learning about, uh, collecting, and playing uh, the kind of music we're going to hear from you this afternoon. It's a, it's a long journey, but I guess the Spartanotes version, uh, my, I mean, my father, I always grew up listening to music. He was from Detroit. You know, he liked prog bands, and he liked, you know, MC5, David Bowie. So from an early age, I got interested in just different sounds. Um, but then gradually, I guess around the time I came to college, uh, there was sort of this wealth of internet blogs. Uh, I think a lot of them are probably defunct now, but they were a wealth of great information. Um, there were ones like Mutant Sounds, Ghost Capital, and I learned a lot about, I was very interested in music from across the world, field recordings, um, kind of vernacular sounds in, in East Asia, Africa, and so I kind of always liked uh, music from the far corners of the world, and I guess as I progressed through college, uh, you know, that sort of interest progressed into Appalachian music because I had a similar rawness of sort of a, a simplicity that really appealed to me. And, uh, you know, I was interested in record collecting, but then, you know, in my times at thrift stores and antique malls, um, I started gradually to sing uh, these kind of custom gospel records and they would be date and they would have addresses in uh, Kentucky. They'd be in the far reaches. They'd be in just places I, at that time, I wasn't particularly familiar with like Dorton, Kentucky or, um, you know, Barberville. And I knew Barberville, of course, but just, just small pockets. And I picked them up just out of curiosity to, uh, you know, just to hear what they sounded like. And uh, some of the first ones I heard, one was a, a gospel duet. It was uh, Nellie Bentley and her son Sherman. And they were from Dorton, kind of Jenkins area. And uh, I think they belonged to actually a church in Northern Virginia over there called the Esterville Free Will Church. And, uh, you know, it kind of had a very terminally unhip cover of her son's face on the cover, but it had Nellie in the back. 
you know, the very kind of spectral black and white photo with the guitar and it just really caught my eye and I played it. And the most kind of plaintive, high lonesome kind of belting came out of this woman. I was just absolutely amazed by it. Um, and so that just sort of opened my eyes to the potentials of these sorts of records. Uh, and that kind of started the journey. And I guess what, um, what I've been trying to do there, I mean, I'm not pretending that I'm the first person who's been interested in Kentucky gospel music. I mean, of course they're, they're you know, you go back to Alan Lomax and uh, Harry Smith and people who documented vernacular sounds, you know, way back uh, in the early uh, 20th century. Um, they've been doing that for quite some time. Well, I was just going to say, what is the, you've called it gospel music. Um, I would guess too, uh, as far as definitions are concerned, it might be spiritual music. It might be uh, primitive uh, church music. Uh, uh, so it, it it really, is it, does it fall under that umbrella of being that kind of music for all of these that you, uh, because they're all different, of course. Yeah, there's a staggering variety of styles, um, particularly uh, the area that I've focused on predominantly has been the late 50s, maybe to the early 70s. I think kind of in the 80s, there's still some interesting recordings, but it gets glossier and the production methods get more sophisticated. I tend to lean towards like a lot of the records I like were from these custom recording studios where there's not a lot of bells and whistles, no frills, there aren't necessarily big backing studio bands. And I think that kind of lends itself to the authenticity because people would record, uh, you know, sometimes in their living rooms and they send the tapes off uh, or they would go to the studios, but sometimes they would even record in the living room and send the tapes off to these custom record plants. One was a major one was Wright Record Productions in Cincinnati, and they didn't record just gospel. They record Soul Garage. Uh, it was a pretty Titan. Uh, it was a custom studio, but it recorded all kinds of regional acts. Um, but I think part of what appealed to me about that, about Wright Records, and there's also QCA Custom, which is another major plant. There's, there just wasn't a lot of studio involvement. And I think for better or worse, sometimes you get poor results, but other times when there's no outside interference, it allows the recordings to kind of speak for themselves, I suppose. But as far as the styles you mentioned, um, you know, back in the 20s, I mean, a lot of, I, I think a lot of what's been documented thoroughly so far as early string band music, 78s, like a 78 RPMs, of course, um, like, uh, you know, Riley Puckett, Bradley Kincaid, uh, Doc Boggs, uh, those are some, you know, big Kentucky names. Well, let's pause right here, Christian, if you don't mind. And instead of uh, talking about them, let's hear a sample of what we're going to hear and talk about uh, uh, throughout the the podcast. So just uh, choose one and let's give uh, folks an idea of the kind of music we're talking about. Okay. I will play the Nellie Bentley record I just mentioned, one of the first ones I actually found at the Goodwill, Leastown Road in Lexington. Um, and I just bought it on a lark and was curious about it. And I was just, um, just very struck by the Nellie's voice from Dorton, Kentucky. Now, if you drunk and Oh, an accident one day 
So, Christian, once again, uh, that is um, Nellie Bentley. And was that also her son uh, on the recording, you think? Yeah, you can't hear him there. They sing duet style, but that's her singing lead. I believe Sherman, her son, is accompanying her on guitar there. And what do we know about Nellie Bentley uh, other than she was, um, you said, in Dorton, Kentucky, which is near Jenkins? Yes, uh, it's, yeah, it's right down there. It's in Pike County, uh, but I think she belonged to this church in Esserville. And there's a whole circuit of, it's kind of a very fertile area, the whole wise Pikeville area. There was a group of musicians, one who's gaining a lot of traction right now is Reverend Joe Freeman. And I know there are people who are working on reissues and rec- he has a very, uh, retrospectives of his music. And he has a very distinct kind of rockabilly, very intense style. And uh, they were just part of a circuit who would, tour the region and they would play in kind of these little misty churches around the area in Wise, Pikeville, Dorton. Um, I don't know if they went into West Virginia, um, but she re- they recorded at least four LPs. I know she has a couple 45s and all, all of them, to my knowledge, were at Wright Records production. Um, I think she, I'm not sure if she passed away. I, don't quote me on that. I was going to say, just what what year are we talking about? Do you have any idea, or did did the album tell you? I would I would say usually you can tell from the Matrix numbers. I think it's uh, I would say it's around sixty seven, sixty eight. Yeah. So quite some time ago, as far as uh, recording, and uh, mm-hmm. do you feel like that that recording was done uh, live, or was that something that was uh, recorded in a church setting and then sent off to the studio? Uh, that to- one that. Yeah, that one was recorded in studio. Was recorded in the studio. And, and yes, sir. I see. So, Christian, that was uh, an example of the kind of music we're going to hear on the podcast. That was, uh, as you mentioned, Nellie Bentley. Uh, I was also intrigued not only by the uh, the music, uh, the but the lyrics. Um, and I tried to understand uh, as much as I could. I did pick up the word whiskey. I knew there was a message there somewhere. What, do, do you also, not only the the, the cording, uh, the uh, the score, uh, but the lyrics are also a part of what you are studying, correct? Uh, yes, sir. And uh, that's a an original composition. Uh, as a, It says on the liner notes in the back of the jacket that uh, her a family member died as a result of a drunk driver. And uh, that was a tribute to his passing. It's also worth noting about that area. Nellie Bentley, I believe uh, they played, you may have heard of the Immortal Cook duet um, from Wise, Virginia, but they were a very Titan gospel group from that region. And her voice, uh, they always call it the high lonesome sound uh, is very indicative of that, that Cook duet type, st- type style. Um, and they were a major gospel group that uh, they recorded for right record productions. And they also, I think they may have potentially used the same photography studio. There's very distinct black and white photography studio um, for those records. And, uh, but it's very, that particular cadence, uh, you know, cause I've listened to gospel records, um, not only just from Kentucky, but from other States. And it's very, indicative to that region it's very contained to that area of a place and time and there's something that's sort of indelible about it i'm not sure you could really replicate that tonality i i can't place it but i've never like the cook duet comes very close they have a very similar just long held notes you know when they're singing uh and i don't know if it's just 
something that was in the water down there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was a very particular tonality to Wise and the, you know, Pikeville, Pike County, uh, just that's, particularly with the female singers. I don't know what it was, but they had a, a very strong resonance. Well, we'll listen for some of those um, uh, areas of uh, interest, uh, if you will, uh, some, some of those things that you're pointing out to us in, in some of the other recordings. And um, so uh, will we hear as we go through uh, similar uh, tonality, similar uh, phrases, um, a similar instrumentation uh, as we hear a few other examples? I would argue that the samples I prepared are all uh, different in their own ways. Uh, you know, what you hear, and that's one thing that's captivated me through across this journey is what you hear maybe in Pineville or Barberville uh, from, uh, there was a studio down there that I'm particularly fascinated by. It was uh, run by David Lundy. Um, and I think his son's kind of carried on tradition for quite some time. I believe the label's defunct now, I, I could be wrong, but um, it started as the Viola label and it has changed to Lundy, but they were a huge, a very, a, pretty substantial operation in groups from the surrounding Barberville, some in Northern Tennessee, um, some came from as far as Lexington, that's sort of an anomaly, but many of the groups who recorded there were from Harlan County, Middlesboro, um, you know, uh, of course in Barberville, Corbin, uh, Manchester, I mean, just, uh, it was, it was unique too, because it's kind of a merging of the modern with the old because, uh, Lundy actually had like a studio band and that kind of runs counter to what I was talking about studio flair and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, I think there was just a very distinct sound and a lot of these Pentecostal groups, you'd hear a lot of like lead guitar. It had a very distinct kind of ebullient sort of sound with, uh, you know, hand clapping and, you know, like kind of that finger picking guitar style, even some bluesy lilts every now and then. Um, and particularly the one group I think of in particular uh, is the uh, Uplifters from Pineville, Kentucky. Um, and I think they're very indicative of that kind of panic. They were from the uh, Pine Street Pentecostal Church in Pineville, Kentucky. And I think they're very indicative of that sort of Lundy sound of groups from across that region. And I have a cl clip prepared of them. I may be mistaken about this, but I think on one of your examples, and maybe we'll get to it, I heard either spoons uh, being played or maybe a washboard. Tam uh, there's tam tambourines or maybe, I don't know. Or if that's tambourines, maybe it was a tambourine. Maybe it wasn't a washboard with uh, a, a, a sewing um, apparatus uh, there. So mm -hmm. why don't you give us another example and, and tell us uh, what we're going to hear and maybe what to listen for and then play a little bit of it. Yeah, and this is uh, the Uplifters. It's called Go Down Moses. And this is actually, sometimes you'll see certain, another part of regionality, not only just sound, you would, there's, a, there's exceptions, but more often than not, certain hymns are played in particular regions. Um, I've only seen this particular song um, really in that kind of area. The only other one I can think of is uh, of a group out of uh, Beattyville, Kentucky, who has a later version on the uh, Winchester-based RCM label. Um, but this song I don't see frequently outside of that area and it's called Go Down Moses and it's by the Uplifters and they were a kind of a church group and there's a very in my opinion to listen for you can hear the hand clapping as a rhythm section you can hear tambourines um, I think it has a very just repetitive hypnotic style in my opinion it kind of puts you under a spell and it's just it's sloppy it's messy and then most importantly it's a lot of fun.
Christian, that was a little bit different, uh, has a little bit more um, uh, to it. Uh, maybe uh, you can hear a, a lead singer, or you can hear a, a female voice, uh, maybe in a repetitive uh, uh, voice behind him, but you can uh, piano. Uh, there was some clapping. Uh, do you now was that a recorded uh, in a church or was that a studio recording in the in the Pineville studio you were talking about? I'm not certain about that one. I believe it was recorded in the studio. I think the quality of it's probably too good to be uh, uh, a church recording. Now, are, are groups like uh, you said that uh, earlier on, you thought maybe Nellie Bentley uh, possibly passed away. Um, there, there are certainly family members that, that carry on this tradition. And I'm sure, I'm positive uh, that you can hear this music uh, anywhere in Kentucky today. It may not be as pure as it was uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but uh, I'm, I'm in small town Kentucky and Appalachia, uh, but, but a, a group like the Uplifters, are they still performing, recording? Uh, I can't imagine they are, they'd all probably be either passed away or very old, but I, you know, I've, I've come across tapes. I mean, I, I, my emphasis has been records, but I've, you know, found live, I mean, I'll, I'll collect gospel from a particular period across any format, whether it's an eight track tape, you know, I'm, I'm mainly looking just, just for the sounds and the experience in itself, but records is a predominant format. Uh, but you know, some of these, uh, men and women, they, I mean, they would stay in church and sing until, very old age, uh, you know, until their 80s and 90s, as long as they're able. Uh, you know, I'll speak to someone uh, that I, one person I have made contact with who is still alive. And it's always been a challenge, uh, you know, because a lot of them do pass away and a lot of the stories die with them, unfortunately, in the oral histories. Uh, but one woman who is a remarkable example, her name is Veron Lamb, and uh, she is from a uh, Jackson County, Kentucky, um, kind of in the area of McKee, not quite there, but in Jackson. She, and her father was a minister, but she's in her late 80s. I believe she's 89 now. And she lives in Ohio, like many Kentuckians, you know, they in the, you know, 60s and 70s for, for work, they went up to, uh, you know, Michigan and Indiana and Ohio for other jobs, just because there weren't many opportunities, uh, you know, in Kentucky. But, uh, but she's still alive and she still sings. Um, despite, I mean, I've known her maybe three years and she's gone through all manner of ailments and she comes out, she's, she's more lucid than I am. She's completely mm -hmm. remarkable. Um, and she lives, like I said, she lives in Lebanon, Ohio now. And she is a member of the Red Lion Church up there. She belongs to the Holiness Church, which is sort of a decentralized branch of Pentecostalism. And she drives back and forth to Berea. She has a car that kind of sputters in and out. And she, she's had some issues, but she still sings. I mean, she's basically said, I'm commanded to sing. Uh, and it's not really, I mean, she enjoys it, but it's her, it's a form of devotion. And uh, as long as she's been able to sing, she'll continue to do it no matter where, um, no matter how her body may you know, try to prevent her otherwise. Is she a solo artist? Uh, predominantly, she writes a lot of her own music. She actually recorded, I mean, she had a, a, an LP and 245 she recorded uh, in the early to late 60s. She had a, a early EP on the REM label, which was uh, run out of Lexington, Kentucky. And that was an example where she was with another gentleman who was a bluegrass musician and evangelist named Ruben Abner. And I think she was pretty particularly young at the point. She was maybe 19 or a teenager. 
and they recorded some a set of songs like an ep for a 45 in her living room and they sent that off to rem and then right records productions productions uh, produced it and then she had another 45 uh with her brother hesmer um who has a very phenomenal voice um I mean, he's since passed away but uh but yeah but more or less she she's a solo artist she writes a lot of her own songs her her lp of course there's a there's a band and um, some associate friends of hers who are accompanying her uh, uh but more or less i mean she's her recordings are a solo artist but uh, the music and the denomination she belongs to i would argue is highly communal in nature despite the solo nature of her uh, recordings you're making reference uh, to um church um to uh varieties of branches of, of pentecostal or uh, religious uh affiliations uh, would you say that for the most part uh, these groups uh, the solo artists were church-based and not just entertainment-based they just weren't formed to uh, appear on a uh, a stage somewhere uh, let's just say uh renfro valley for example whether they were singing gospel or or uh, some variation of an Appalachian uh, song of some sort. But, but most of these, what you have studied and researched um, and grown to love uh, is mostly church-based? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I, very, very rarely were they an island. I can't think of anyone who maybe was religious who, or a, mem a member of the Christian faith who didn't belong to a church in some capacity. I mean, there may be exceptions, exceptions to that rule, but it's interesting you bring up Renfro Valley because a lot of these uh, recordings, I mean, they weren't commercial ambitions. Some of them have the original recordings and, you know, there might, they might have rights and so on. I mean, they record them for studios, but really it was purely an, a, a proselytizing evangelistic effort. It was, it was about salvation. It was about saving souls. They didn't want to sell, a, they didn't want to commodify salvation, you know, uh, but Renfro Valley, Varan actually told me that they used to have revivals there. See, I wasn't aware of that. They would have weeks long or maybe several week long revivals and all the, all the who's who um, would play up there. Her cousin, brother, Bill Rose, who was uh, um, from uh, Berea and he was a remarkable evangelist in himself. And he recorded uh, an LP in the same session as her um, in the late sixties at Barron studios in Ohio. And he had a lot of the very more, close to a kind of a rockabilly style but that'd be sort of maybe a distortion of what the style is but up tempo lead guitar very energetic uh you know but he would play on stage with her not only at their churches around Berea and Jackson County but on stage at Renfro Valley mm -hmm. and they said it would be people would just sit out there kind of like the recent I guess you call it kind of like the Asbury revival but a much more you know intense mm -hmm. form where they would just go up there and play in improvisational style and preach and sing and preach and sing. And um, it was, it was an experience. So, uh, but yeah, but they was, it was a different kind of Renfro Valley, I suppose. Yeah. Tell us about somebody else that you uh, are a favorite uh, of one of yours and, and what we should listen for. Um, I'll try to think of ones that are more accessible. Uh, a few that come to mind, one person who's getting a lot of traction now, uh, people have been researching for a while. I think, uh, uh, what's his last name? Harry Rice. He's the sound archivist over at Berea College. There's an extensive collection of uh, John Reedy recordings. And John Reedy and his wife, Frances, were a gospel duet. Um, I believe he was from Tennessee originally, and uh, she is from Powell County. 
And uh, I think they married in the 30s and then they went up to Harlan County. And I, you may, may or may not be familiar with this hymn, but he wrote Somebody Touched Me, which became a very famous uh, gospel hymn. And he re they recorded on you know radio stations for around 18 years or so. But uh, he, uh, he had an LP on the Lundy label in Barbara would recommend it, which is one of his more obscure ones. But he also recorded many sides for the Star Day label. Um, out of Nashville, which of course, uh, you know, recorded many major country music, big and small country music artists for uh, many decades. Uh, but he has a fairly extensive body of work uh, that can be listened on, listened to on YouTube. It's it's kind of like bluegrass, some of his he, a diversity of styles. I mean, because he recorded for so long, I think his first 78 was in 1950s. He had a 78 in the 50s. Um, and then he recorded all the way through the 70s and he sort of shape-shifted sounds, but all of it's compelling. And if anyone, it's John Reedy or John Reedy and the Stone Mountain Hillbillies. Um, and he's a, you know, it's a remarkable musician. Um, another who's kind of a jack of all trades, uh, I guess kind of a pun, his name was a Hobo Jack Adkins. And he was from Pike County, Kentucky. And he almost, I, I wouldn't know if it's fair to say an entrepreneurial bent, but he was from, I want to say he's from Millard. I know he's from Pike County. Um, but he, every time he recorded songs, he did so for his own labels. He had several, several labels. He was kind of a, kind of, kind of a business heart in a way, but I don't think he was purely intent on commerce. Uh, but, you know, he had a big A, I think was his label, but his big one was his uh, semi-eponymous ADCO label. And uh, he recorded an LP for it that is uh, uh, particularly great. And, uh, but also another one of his remarks, and he moved up to Cincinnati, but, uh, you know, he recorded kind of like Lundy Viola. He recorded a lot of musicians from Eastern Kentucky and even those who had gone up to Ohio, but were from Kentucky originally. Um, he even recorded, he seemed pretty, pretty, he wasn't entirely linear with gospel. He, I think he, he recorded, you know, some kind of uh, African-American groups. He recorded, uh, you know, garage bands. Uh, so he was very different, but he, he had a very kind of plaintive wailing sound too. Uh, but, I, you know, a lot of people have heard of it, but I encourage anyone to go on YouTube and look up Hobo Jack Atkins because his gospel sounds are, uh, you know, very sorrowful and interesting, but he also has some 45s that are just uh, very kind of energetic rockabilly um, kind of finger picking style. Um, so he has a pretty extensive body of work that I think people who don't traditionally think they would enjoy gospel would certainly like. Well, Christian, you look for a couple of other examples there. I am talking to Christian Marnon. Uh, who is our guest on our Think Humanities podcast uh, today. Uh, Christian is a, a graduate of Western Kentucky University's journalism program. He's currently the editor of the Oldham Era in uh, LaGrange, Kentucky. But uh, we are talking with him about his, uh, his love and his, uh, uh, his devotion to uh, traditional Appalachian music uh, that he has uh, collected and uh, learned to love over the, the many years that he's been uh, scouring uh, record stores, and um, I, I would imagine just any place that he can find an album, or uh, as he said too, I'm, uh, YouTube is a, a good uh, resource for him, and, and uh, we're talking with him. But we also want to remind everyone that uh, we are brought to you by our good friends at Spalding University. We'll take a pause for uh, them, and then we'll be back with uh, more music from Christian Marnin. Spalding University's low-residency MFA in creative writing prepares students to publish, produce, and find professional success. 
alumni publish books with top presses, write for television and film, and have plays produced around the country. They work as editors, professors, media professionals, content developers, and more. Writers thrive at Spalding's Naslin Mann Graduate School of Writing. Learn more at spalding.edu slash MFA or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Christian Martin is our guest on the Think Humanities podcast today, and we're uh, moving uh, all over the uh, map in Kentucky, uh, primarily in Appalachia, to talk about uh, gospel music and many of the, the groups that were uh, recorded early on in uh, various studios around the state. Uh, Christian, is, there, um, is this kind of music, I know it's still being performed or sung, is it still being recorded? Uh, I haven't tracked the modern recordings like I have this period. My emphasis has predominantly been the 50s to the 80s, but uh, not in the LP format, of course. I mean, unless it's kind of an anachronism that people want to be part of the vinyl revival and so on. But I, as far as churches go, maybe some, I think they're recording on YouTube. And uh, I know there are some churches probably in Eastern Kentucky. I, I've stumbled on a few on YouTube who uh, I, I can't speak too much in depth about it, but are kind of of a similar improvisational nature of the same denominations who have a you know similar energy uh, to uh, some of the recordings that I enjoyed. But, uh, you know, I, I've certainly been recorded and played in church, but I but the styles have shape-shifted so much over time. I just, uh, you know, I haven't focused yeah. on those as much as I have. Of the well, what else would you like to share with us today uh, to tell us, uh, maybe, maybe set this up and Tell us what we're going to hear, and then we can hear another uh, sample or two. Okay. Well, I mentioned uh, Hobo Jack Atkins before and his Adco label, um, and I encourage people to go listen to him. But I'll play this something. It's from this is a recording from his label that I just acquired recently. It was a very long search for this record. His name's Brother Alex Beverly, and he's from Vico, Kentucky, uh, which is down in Perry County, kind of driving down like you're driving out of Hazard towards. Whitesburg. There's actually a little town down a little low valley there, and it's a, it a little antique shop. It's a, a peculiar place. But he, uh, you know, it was a, a friend of mine found a copy of this record at Flea Land. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's a flea market in London, Kentucky. And there was a guy there who had a big booth of records, and uh, he wore suspender overalls. And he, I remember he had a sign on there that said, If you steal my records, I'll lob your fingers off or something like that. <laughs> but but uh, he, uh, a friend of mine found this. This record, uh, all those years, I think I want to say it was five or six years ago, and I was, and it had a very uh, distinct kind of a almost like a country blues style. It almost compared, like I, I want to say, it has twelve string on it. I'm not the best at identifying instruments sometimes, but it reminds me a little bit of like a Mississippi John Hurt mixed with the Leuven Brothers or something like that. Um, and this guy was a uh, coal miner, a retired coal miner who uh, still, I don't know if he still lived in Bicko, but uh, he was still living down there in Perry County. And I got in touch with his family and it was during, I wanted to talk to him and speak to him a little bit more at length, but unfortunately it was during COVID and I couldn't get down there. I didn't want to you know, risk his health. Uh, but uh, recently I was able to obtain a copy of this record in a uh, stroke of luck. Um, and that's was, uh, one more thing I'll emphasize. A lot of these records, they were because of their custom nature, they were typically pressed in editions of maybe a thousand or less, a thousands on the high end. You know, this particular record I want to say is 500. And that may sound like a lot, but a lot of them, even if you do find them, it's one of the kind of the frustrating aspects of collecting gospel music. 
is they were in the best condition. The records weren't maintained well. So that's been an added layer. That's been an added challenge of finding a lot of these uh, is you may find one, but it may not be in the most playable condition. It may have skips. It may be just, uh, you know, just rough, rough in general, because people didn't maintain them, unfortunately. But, you know, I've been fortunate in a lot of the ones I've been looking, a lot of the records I've been looking for uh, to find clean copies. And this one by brother Alex Beverly out of Vico uh, is no exception. I was able to find a very clean copy uh, after many years of searching. Saints and holy, this train is bound for glory, this train. Well, come on, children, and get on board of this train. Well, come on, children, and get on board of this train. Come on, children, and get on board. Don't take nothing but the children of the Lord. Come on, children, and get on board of this train. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that's a little bit more maybe, I'm not going to say because you're the expert and I'm not, but a little bit more traditional. I mean, that's a, that's a song yeah. that we're all familiar with, or some people are familiar with, and and uh, one that, that's sort of uh, folk, I guess, um, folk song. Um, and uh, Christian, why don't you choose one more and tell us about it and, uh, and let us know... Um, why you like this one and uh, what, what is unique about uh, the one that you're going to play? Well, I, I would be remiss not to mention Cager McQueen, who uh, was an evangelist from uh, DeMosville, Kentucky. I, I think he hailed from Manchester originally, but DeMosville is a really small town. It's up there in Northern Kentucky. And, and his first he, name is Cager. Is that C-A-G-E-R? That's right. Cager McQueen. Interesting side story about, about Cager, from, who was from Manchester area. I was in Beattyville uh, looking around for records, as I do, and I was at a kind of a church yard sale on a mountaintop, and I stumbled upon a guy, and, uh, you know, I was asking, you know, I was asking around records, and he said, uh, oh, old Cager Farler, he'll wheel and deal with you, and I said, Cager, I'd never heard the name Cager before, and uh, I said, beyond Cager McQueen, who is a musician, you know, a preacher from northern or from Demosville, and he said oh well uh cager's his cousin but cager farler was this man's brother and he incidentally kind of showing you how deep kentucky roots and connections go um cager farler was a radio dj and uh, a label owner in his own right out of uh i think he ran the studio out of jackson uh and uh, it was called the big whiz and uh, he recorded a lot, and and uh, he had a song on that, and he had a song on that label called "Black Lung Cadillac," uh, which, which which was different. Uh, and uh, and I think he had a few LPs, and then everything on that late label is pretty scarce. Uh, but uh, but but yeah, those was, that was only the two Cagers, Cager Farler and Cager McQueen, and they happen to be related. So uh, it tells a lot about Kentucky. Kentucky. Well, you know, I may be. Yeah, I, I want to clarify this too. If I said something about you, you find a lot of your music maybe on YouTube, but you just told us you you go to a lot of yard sales. Uh, I, I would imagine. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the, the the discovery of some of this material, and then we'll play one and kind of go out on on the final number sure. there. But but tell us about your your uh, where where you go to find these. Uh, well, back 
I want to say when I first started looking for these or started gaining interest, maybe around 2016, 2017, they used to be more plentiful because people, nobody really cared. Like people still overlook these records. Like even when I go out to the towns where they're recorded, I think that's one of the unfortunate things is people seem to be divorced from music. That's only a generation or two away. Like this is their grandparents' music. And I'll go to, you know, yard sales and flea markets. And people said, you know, what do you want with that old gospel music? They, they almost look down on it. And this is in Kentucky too. It's not like I'm looking for gospel in, you know, New York city or something to that effect. Um, but it used to be more plentiful because everyone sort of ignored it. And I would find it at, you know, in Lexington at, you know, flea, uh, antique malls and goodwills and uh, kind of a lot of unique sounds. Uh, but it's gradually become, I don't know if it's just due to the scarcity of the recordings themselves and they were just around for a time and kind of the wells dried up uh, but you know it's still findable but I find I've over time I found myself having to drive further and further into the reaches of Kentucky I mean I've driven all over the eastern side of the state and I I think the best music this is another point I'll emphasize that the, or the ones that interest me the most is a lot of it's central it's like east of Berea and like kind of like the cutoff for whatever reason western Kentucky gospel it's more of that happy Goodman Madison sound. It's more kind of like hee-haw piano quartet and that has its place, but it's not really, you know, what I'm looking for. I like more of the, the bluegrass and the country gospel and some of these, you know, Pentecostal sounds. And I think the most unique sounds are on that, on the Eastern side of the state. So I've driven out to a lot of those regions and I put a lot of miles in my car. I have to admit more than I, more than I care to admit. Um, I, you know, I, I would, every weekend I was going to, Paintsville, Kentucky. I go down to Salyersville. I've been to Barberville. Well, you've seen a lot of um, of Eastern Kentucky and, and of regions that people don't ever travel to. And, and that, in my opinion, enhances the music when you can connect the place to the sound. And I, and yeah. I think more people would share that if, you know, you, especially if you find a record that's from that particular, like if I go to Salyersville and I find something from there and I come back and it's beautiful. And I had that experience of finding it in just a junk shop in that town. Um, it's, it's just, I, I build a far better connection with the record than say buying on eBay, right, I guess. Uh, so, you know, I've just, I've driven all over kind of like a madman. It's just become sort of a unquenchable hunt, I suppose. I still, and the exciting thing is I still think there's a lot to be discovered, you know, I, and that's part of my pursuit. You know, I'm not pretending to be the only person doing this, but I think I've logged a, you know, a pretty ex expansive collection of just Kentucky music per regional pockets that, you know, I think historically, uh, one guy I'll point to, his name is Scott Cheesebrew, and he's an influence on, uh, you know, many record collectors the world around, and he lives in Cincinnati, and uh, he has a YouTube channel, it's called Cheesebrew Wax Archive, I rec highly recommend everyone check that out, um, but he, I mean, his, his emphasis was Ohio Valley records but he's more of a 45 guy i mean he likes a lot of the similar gospel sounds that i do I mean, he likes rockabilly you know country bop bluegrass the works and he has a very discerning ear uh but for whatever reason a lot of guys that i know they're very you know have tunnel vision about 45s and they kind of ignore the lps because i think they think that the lps are less than or they don't have the patience for them and they'll tell you that uh and i don't really quite understand that so i guess where i've sort of in my own pursuit picked up where they maybe they left off is kind of logging a lot of these 60s LPs and I think there's just as great great of sounds there and there's plenty more to be discovered and it's out there and uh you know in an age where everything is seen and it feels like no stones are unturned um it's exciting to have something that not everyone has experienced maybe beyond the people who lived it so. yeah well thank you for sharing your 
your passion uh, with us uh, on the podcast. I uh, really do appreciate it. And uh, let's do this. Uh, just choose uh, one final number. We'll go out on that and we'll uh, say uh, thank you and uh, good luck at um, at continuing your uh, your second job. Uh, you never know. This might uh, turn into something uh, more than than what you have it today is just something that you have a passionate about. So uh, we appreciate uh, you being on with us. What are we going to hear? I'm going to play uh, Bill Boggs and the Hall family. This is an EP. It's on the Baron label. It's out of Ohio. But uh, I actually, I have to confess, I haven't determined this guy's from Kentucky, but everyone else who's recorded from this label is more or less been from Kentucky. And it's clearly very much indicative of the holiness sound. And I didn't really touch on this as much in the podcast, but in Berea and some of these other towns, there's a bluesy crossover. And I think this particular record reflects a interesting cross-pollination of blues and country gospel just a, a you know a kitchen sink of sounds that uh, i think uh, is, is very unique and can't be replicated so Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.